You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everybody. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. We're on episode 57. And today is all about beauty. Hmm. Beauty is pain. <laughs> Maybe, in some circumstances. Yeah. Yes, today we're going to talk about beauty around the world and different standards of beauty. We have some really interesting things lined up for you. And we don't have a Lost in Translation moment or reviews. But we do have language news. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, so let's... That's okay. I do. You share the news. <laughs> it's, um, well, you know, I feel like you can't do news without talking about the coronavirus these days. Like, yeah, anything that's, like, not coronavirus-based is not really news. It's like, nobody wants to really think about it. So, I found some interesting things about how the coronavirus is influencing our language cool so this is an opinion piece in the statesman called language bugs there are a lot of new words that we've all been using during the pandemic i didn't even know the term for social distancing when we originally uh recorded the episode about being kind of quarantined in china episode 51 yes so now we know social distancing Flattening the curve, self-quarantine. There's another one called infodemic. Have you heard that? No. Misinformation about the virus. Oh my God, there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) So we're not just fighting an epidemic, we're fighting an infodemic as well. And I'm sure you've seen lots of misinformation, like drinking bleach and hydrochloroquine. Mm. A lot of the infodemic is thanks to our dear leader in America. Thanks. Yeah. And it comes it comes from everywhere, too. I mean, my mom was just telling yeah. me she heard on NPR from doctors a lot of misinformation about... The information changes so quickly that if you're not reading every day, then you're behind. Yeah. So basically, one of the doctors was not fully supportive of the use of masks and said that it wouldn't do anything to prevent you from getting it, but it does prevent you from 50 to 60% of things coming in, too. So, If you're wearing a mask, you're keeping things in. Um, right. He said that, but he said it would do nothing to prevent you from getting it but it does Mm. prevent like 50 to 60 percent so anyhow oh that's cool okay good just fyi everybody new information on masks that rachel just released just um, breaking like you know so even doctors are spreading misinformation yeah contributing to the infodemic exactly so the oxford dictionary has started incorporating a lot of these expressions for contemporary usage. They're not necessarily valuable additions to the English language, but it says this lexicon may yet serve as a brief introduction to the medical history and the first half of the 21st century. 
So it's actually pretty informative, the language we're using for this time and how it will develop. Another thing it says is the term social isolation has changed over time. So we obviously know what it means now, um, distancing ourselves from interacting face-to-face -face with people. But in the 19th century, it was used by countries that chose to distance themselves politically and economically from the rest of the world. Mm. And then social distancing, on the other hand, was first used in 1957, and it meant that if you were social distancing yourself, then you were being socially aloof and it didn't have any physical connotation. Mm. So the connotation has changed with the context. And obviously now it means distancing yourself from another person to avoid infection. So we're seeing a change in the language. I saw somebody else on Facebook post the other day like, does anybody else feel like we're using the term unprecedented too often? <laughs> Here are a bunch of uh, synonyms for unprecedented. Let's try being a little bit more. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So yeah, that's the language news. And now we're done talking about coronavirus. Yeah, for today. Yeah. <laughs> so then let's move on to our main topic, which is beauty. And we are not talking about beauty of nature. No. Well, some parts of nature. But <laughs> we are talking human about... Human nature. Human nature. Physical beauty. Mm. So we've all heard the expression, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So we are going to be taking a look at that today. And what does this mean in different parts of the world, in different cultures? Yeah, this is a really cool topic, and I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about it yet, so. I know. First, Rachel found this really cool list of different beauty standards from around the world that you probably wouldn't consider normal. Mm-hmm. So these are, some of them are very specific to tribes, and some of them are a little bit broader than that, but let's take a look at some of them. So mm -hmm. in Korea, and in other parts of East Asia as well. I think this is pretty well known. Having fair skin or very light skin is the norm. And if you compare mm. that to a lot of parts of the West, like in the US or in Europe or in Canada, there it's, I think it's more common to um, tan your skin. So to have mm -hmm. darker skin. Definitely. The next one we have is Ethiopia the Karo tribe having scars. So they do these elaborate patterns that vary. So they have lots of different patterns that they use mm -hmm. on the body and on the face. The beauty standard. It looks like a bunch of little raised bumps. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It's kind of like a tattoo almost. Yeah. I, I wonder how much they're, if this is still an ongoing tradition or, or not. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe. So in France, the article talks about the natural beauty of France, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. So this is not only like no makeup, but also sort of unconventional beauty. So this might be having uneven teeth or a tooth gap or hmm. um, different unique features. 
Those French are so avant-garde. <laughs> That's super cool. In Mauritania, bigger is better. So the bigger the woman, the more ready she is for marriage, which sounds like a really nice place to live, honestly. <laughs> Although there was a tradition that has been outlawed in many places now, but that they would force feed their daughters to make them bigger. So, Oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> so, you know, there's two sides to every story. Yeah. You're right. I just really like eating. But <laughs> if it's being force-fed, it's probably no fun. No. In Russia, the beauty standard is a very sort of manicured look. And many Russian women wouldn't go out as maybe I would go out in, like, workout clothes or in sweatpants. They like to look yeah. very put together. I wouldn't do so well in Russia either, Rachel. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, yoga pants for life. Actually, the other day I literally Googled, like, how can I wear yoga pants to work? Because soon we'll have to start going back to work, and I've just been really used to wearing yoga pants all day, er day. Mm-hmm. Yep. I feel that. Mm-hmm. Kenya has a standard of having very short hair and stretched earlobes. So we're talking gauges in the ear, but with really interesting, intricate earrings. Yeah. And so this is the Maasai tribe. Mm, thank you. The Maasai tribe. Yes. It's not all Kenyans. Yes. In Iran, they get a lot of nose jobs. Hmm. And I also read that people... So this is also a status symbol, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Mm -hmm. But if you can afford to have a nose job, that's a good thing. And people actually wear their nose bandages <sighs> for extended periods to show, like, I had a nose job. And yeah, I also read somewhere that they estimate that Iran has the highest per capita instance of nose jobs. Wow. Rhinoplasty. That sounds so painful. Yeah. In Japan, there is a procedure that you can get done called the yaeba, or the double tooth. It's kind of like a snaggle tooth. I, I have heard of this. And yeah, the result is supposed to be more youthful and innocent. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Also, pain. Like, can you imagine the pain in your mouth that you must have after that procedure? Oh. Yeah, it's sort of like extreme braces, I guess. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, okay. Well, I'm not here to judge. Yeah. It's unusual, I think, for us as well, because at least in the U.S., people are very obsessed with having, like, straight, perfect teeth. Yeah. And Almost everybody I know had braces in the U.S. Yeah. I know. Some point. Yeah, and if you don't have perfect teeth, it's like... Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I feel like my friends from the UK are opposite. Like, it's super <laughs> weird to, to have braces in the UK. Okay, Rachel is laughing very knowingly, I think. <laughs> it's just a stereotype, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's there's a reason for it. Yeah. So, And I wonder if that's just not something that is a focus or what what the difference is. 
Well, in the U.S., we look at it as like a health thing. Like, oh, well, obviously your teeth have to be perfect so that you like develop appropriately, you know. But、mm. I think that's just like the orthodontic lobby taking over with their propaganda. I mean, it could be more brace. <laughs> yeah.、Um, Sorry. Yeah, that was probably a little conspiratorial, but. <laughs> and in Thailand and Burma, the is it Kayan? Yeah, the Long Neck Tribe. I've heard that there are people who believe this, but it's actually a lot of times just done for tourists now. So, did it exist at one time? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, like northern Thailand, women will stretch their necks, but it's not actually stretching their necks. They're just like pushing their shoulders down. Oh, okay. And that makes their necks look longer. And there's a myth actually that、uh, if you like take off the rings, they have really weak necks, but actually they have quite strong necks. Hmm. Okay. But I what I only know this because. Karen, it's the it's called the Karen tribe. I think it's the Red Karens in northern Thailand, and I want I only know this because after we went hiking in Thailand last year, we were supposed to see like a white Karen village. It's called it looks like Karen K A R E N, but turned out like our guide was like,、ah, we're not going to go there. It's really far away, and they just do it for tourism. It's not like. Genuine, but I think that's in Thailand. In Burma, it's more genuine.、And、people who do it in Thailand kind of are refugees from Burma,、mm, okay. I believe. Yeah, I mean, not all of these traditions are also current. I think. Yeah, but they're really interesting. Yeah, like the tradition of Chinese foot binding. Like that's not something that happens now. No. But it would be fascinating to see. But I have not seen any bound feet. Yes, so that doesn't happen now. But that is very—that's a really famous one, and the the standard or the beauty standard of having tiny feet. It's like old timey high heels, just like more mutilation involved. But、mm, yeah, and <sighs> in Indonesia. There are some tribes that practice tooth chiseling to make the teeth into points, and this one is also done without anesthesia or anything, and so it's very, very painful. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Like I said, beauty is pain. <laughs> We've seen a lot of that—the scarring, so much pain. The, the, the long necks,、uh, the foot binding, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I'm getting a headache just thinking about having somebody grind my teeth down. So let's move on. If you want to see a really great up close picture of a foot bind, though, go to that website that we're going to post in the show notes、yeah. of the interesting beauty trends.、Yeah. Okay. So we looked a little bit at different things, and I'm excited to see what you found about male beauty. But what I found was. Almost exclusively about female beauty.、Mm-hmm. So, should I start? Yes. Okay. So, women are traditionally the ones who undergo the most scrutiny, the most who receive the most pressure to look certain ways and upkeep their beauty.、Mm-hmm. This is pretty universal, and this also—I mean—it might have changed over time. Like 
if you think about the ancient Greeks, I think it was the male beauty that was the ideal. Mm. But now, I think most cultures, women are the objects of beauty most often. Yes. So, there, just to start off, I'm sure many of you have seen the picture of a woman that was photoshopped by 18 different countries, which is really interesting because not only is it face, it's face, it's hair, but one of the big things is body size and body shape. And so you can take a look at it, but just some general observations. Like the U.S. had more of an hourglass figure that was not super tiny, but I mean, it was smaller than the original. Mm -hmm. And the... Smallest ones were China's, which they estimated had a BMI of like 17, and Italy, which had, which was also super skinny. I also thought that it was interesting that the Italians changed the, the style of the bra, um, mm. to be what I would more picture as something that they sell at Intimissimi, which is an Italian lingerie brand. Huh. That is interesting. So yeah, that, a lot of countries changed her hair color mm-hmm. to be something more standard from their country. Like, I think in the Netherlands, it was red. Some of them, like, actually, Spain was the largest. They basically left the body alone, huh. which... Do you think that's accurate? I think it's accurate of the acceptance. I feel that when I go to Spanish beaches or swimming pools or whatever, everyone's in a very small bikini, and yes, many Spanish people are very small, but the ones who are a little bit bigger or significantly bigger, no one judges them and no one seems to care about that. Mm. It is very health conscious. A lot of people are very toned or very athletic looking, but not everyone, and there's not a big stigma against that. So, I felt like that was more that because the woman in the original picture was somewhat on the heavy side and they just didn't trim her down to nothing. Mm -hmm. It's nice. That's body positivity. Yeah. Did you have any other ones that you thought were interesting from that? Yeah, I'm looking at it. I see what you're saying. A lot of them focused a lot on the hair, actually. Mm -hmm. You're right. They didn't change the body shape in the Spanish one, but they made her darker. Mm -hmm. So she looks more tan. Whereas in Syria, it looks like they made her whiter. And I think that we're definitely going to talk about whitening of skin in different cultures. Mm -hmm. That's already very evident there. Italy, she's also borderline anorexic mm-hmm. compared to the picture. So I found like the equivalent article for males okay. on Business Insider. This was really interesting because the man whose image was submitted was equally chubby when, compared to the woman in the article that you found. Mm-hmm. He's like a photographer. He's a New York photographer who had his image sent around the world in his underwear And, you know, he's just a normal, average dude. And he got submissions from 19 different countries. Some of the designers in countries like Australia kept him looking pretty much the same. They didn't change his body. Whereas in Egypt and the U.S., he's almost unrecognizable. Some of them 
it looks like they copied and pasted another man's body mm. from the underwear up and just like kept the face but did a lot of alterations in russia he has very developed pecs more developed than in all of the other pictures mm. and he has like flowing blonde hair <laughs> <laughs> like is it long hair yeah it's like i'd say like down to his chin mm. which is kind of like blown back that's interesting. In the U.S., they really changed him. They gave him kind of a Ryan Gosling body and, like, spiky hair. Mm. And, interestingly, a tank top tan. Interesting. In China, they actually photoshopped him to look slimmer and taller. Hmm. But no mass, no muscle mass. South Africa. Oh, wow. He's very tan. Very tan yeah. and very six-pack and packs. And- mm-hmm. They changed, I think... This is the only one that I saw where they actually changed his legs. Because his legs are pretty much the same. But yeah, he definitely has like copied and pasted body (laughs) in South Africa. Colombia, not much of a difference. He's a little slimmer, slimmer, but he's still not buff or anything. Mm -hmm. And the Colombian woman was also on the heavier side, but she wasn't Mm -hmm. as heavy as before, but more full. Oh, yeah. Yeah, still kind of curvy, yeah? Mm -hmm. Egypt made this man unrecognizable. Oh, my God. Wow, he's super (laughs) buff in this one. And tan. Definitely. Pakistani designer removed all his hair on his upper body. And he's super white. Yeah. I mean, I guess he is in the original, too, but... Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Spain. Yeah, they left him alone. Um, Not much of a change. Yeah, same. So that's kind of, that's consistent with what you found. Mm -hmm. Philippines. They also removed some body hair, it looks like, and Mm -hmm. he's got a six-pack. Gave him a six-pack, yeah. No pecs, though. Right. Apparently that's not as important there. So yeah, anyway... It's a really fun article. Mm-hmm. We'll also post those post that to the show notes. And uh, you can see these different male standards from around the world. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. One thing I thought was also telling was mm-hmm. in the female one, the Venezuelan one, she definitely has a boob job going on. Ah, okay. Which is That's super common. It's like, a, you know, a common thing that you do when you graduate high school or something or graduate school get a poop job cool well actually that's a good lead into plastic surgery you want to go there sure in brazil especially brazil is the most extreme example but so brazil the big things to do are body surgeries so boob jobs and butt jobs Mm -hmm. and to make them bigger and more round to look more like you go to the gym or you have just a naturally voluptuous look that's the the standard the ideal yeah a few years ago i actually saw i wanted to say a news report about beauty standards and how they're changing in south america overall and they've changed out a lot of mannequins there so that it's reflective of the current beauty standards mm. and they were talking to this one store owner who said we're throwing away all our all our old mannequins and we're getting them replaced with like more voluptuous mannequins that's interesting yeah because mannequins are traditionally so thin and that's not that's not the trend anymore in south america i mean that's also i think everywhere beauty standards change and evolve 
pretty constantly. Mm -hmm. Like, if you think about in the U.S., the standard around the early 2000s was, like, stick figure, no butt, maybe boobs, but maybe not, and just, like, straight, super thin, think, like, um, Paris Hilton or um, Nicole Richie, somebody like that. Mm -hmm. And now the trend is to be more athletic, have a big butt, and look like you go to the gym, like Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank goodness for that, really. Mm-hmm. At least we non-sticks have a fighting chance. <laughs> yeah, it's a healthier look, I think, too. I think so. Whereas in Asia, it's still pretty normal to be kind of stick-shaped. I have a friend from South Africa, Venetia. She's been on the show before, and she and I both have what we call African bums here. Okay. As a result, it's quite difficult to shop for pants in Asia. And also, I think beds are very hard. Venetia thinks that it has to do with being okay with a very, very flat surface because you don't need a lot of give in a mattress if your body isn't very curvy. So mm, That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, plastic surgery in Asia, though, focuses a lot more on the face, not as much on the body. I think there is liposuction in a lot of cases, but the most common plastic surgery to get in Asia is on the eyes. I knew a 16-year-old in Korea whose mom was like, you have to get eye surgery. Like, it's a very, very common surgery. So they make an indentation on the sides of the eyes, and so it makes them look like they have double eyelid, they call it. Mm -hmm. So another famous surgery is, it's the nose surgery. So the eye surgery is called the blepharoplasty, and the nose surgery is really interesting because they inject Botox into wide cheeks so that the muscles in your cheeks atrophy and sink. And then it makes your nose appear, they say, higher and longer. Hmm. Okay? So then let's talk about what different places or different cultures consider to be natural beauty. Mm-hmm. This may or may not be with makeup. So it's not exactly natural, but like what each place thinks of as their natural look their natural makeup. Mm-hmm. So in Australia, the look is very sort of like I've just been at the beach and they're tan and kind of wavy, natural looking hair. Yeah, sun-kissed, smooth, blemish-free skin and wind-swept hair. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. And then for French women, they're all about looking like they just rolled out of bed, but they're also super chic. I liked this. It said that they have more haircuts that don't really need a lot of styling. So lots of texture and uh, long hair. Minimal effort. Cool. And so for makeup as well, it's not very heavy. And they focus mostly on lashes and uh, lips. Yeah, kind of what we were talking about earlier with how the look that they're going for is like no makeup at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Women in Brazil go with the natural beauty look. So think about Camila Coelho's look of voluminous waves, 
bronze skin, a little bit more makeup. Yeah. And I mean, this also goes along with what we were saying about bodies as well. Mm -hmm. Like, more volume everywhere. Exactly. Um, In Korea, we've already sort of touched on this, but natural beauty is all about the skin. So having a really clear complexion as well as lighter skin, yeah, um, if possible, and any hairstyle that's just like smooth and looks like effortless, basically. Yeah, definitely. Swedish beauty focuses on naturally sleek hair, long lashes, try to focus on their cheeks. So kind of think about that like rosy cheeks and super light skin and hair, blue eyes. Hmm. Yeah, I also read a bit about how they like a bit more color. So you don't necessarily think about Swedes being super tan, but they like to kind of add that in. Mm. And they also said that they do tend to wear like a much heavier makeup look for the everyday look than a lot of other places. Mm, That's interesting. Kind of like the Russians. Yeah. (laughs) So in South Africa, they said that darker skinned women usually have more fun with lip color and use like pretty bright colors and the lighter skinned women are more sun and skin conscious uh, with more natural makeup yeah south africa is just such a huge mix of cultures yeah in the u.s americans tend to go for no makeup makeup which actually requires a lot of products to make it look like you don't have any makeup on (laughs) and There is also this bohemian indie person who focuses on skin before makeup and they say tries to create a model off-duty kind of vibe. And this is, remember, we're talking about natural beauty here. So dry shampoo, tinted sunscreen, and lashes and brows, long lashes and really strong eyebrows, Mm -hmm. which has not always been the case. No. So that's a very current trend. Yeah. That's been, I guess, at least five years, but... yeah. Maybe maybe longer, maybe like 10 years, but still fairly recent. Definitely, yeah. I still remember like when it was cool to have pencil line eyebrows <laughs> very clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we said, like these things are always changing and um, this is sort of the at the moment thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have this beautiful list of beauty contest winners from around the world. And mm-hmm. they're really beautiful. Yeah, they are. Were there any that stood out to you? Hmm. I can definitely see that we're going for a very natural look here for the majority of them. Mm-hmm. The American winner, she's got a lot of makeup on. She's got very heavy yeah. makeup. But... but she also has natural hair, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's true. That's really cool. She's, well, she's African-American. So that's why that's interesting. Yeah. Because <laughs> that hasn't always been the, the case, that mm. people want to do that. Yeah, good, good clarification there, yeah. Korea is exactly <laughs> what we were just saying, like trying to go really natural but still clearly has a lot of makeup on to create a natural look. Yeah. She also has what looks like her eyes done and the nose what else stands out to you? 
the Icelandic girl, she stood out mm-hmm. to me because that's probably the most natural looking. Well, I shouldn't say natural, outdoorsy looking photo. She's like, it seems like she's hiking with a dog and she has her hair in a braid with like a hat on. Yeah, she's, I mean, like you said, it's outdoors. So that makes it kind of a a nice natural feel. But it's also kind of, she's got, she looks like she cares the least about the way she looks Mm -hmm. out of all of the women on on this page. She's like, look, it's me and my dog and we're hiking. (laughs) Yeah, she's also very typical Scandinavian looking. Mm. Blonde hair, light eyes. Yeah, that's true. And then we compare her to the woman from Sweden, who's also Scandinavian, and the woman from Sweden, number 11. Mm -hmm. She is extremely done up. Yeah, that's true. Kind of like what we were talking about with Russians. Like, she's got... Very, she's very, very put together. Mm-hmm. And it actually looks like a headshot more than just like an Instagram post. Yeah, this is true. So she's called Miss Universe Sweden. Finland, the other, I think the only other Scandinavian country. She also has like a ball gown on. She has her hair in a really beautiful updo. She has mm-hmm. very full makeup on. She's really beautiful too, but okay. We don't even have to say that. They're all really beautiful. Yeah, right. Disclaimer, (laughs) these are all beauty queens. Yeah. (laughs) The woman from Turkey also comes off as very natural. I guess, like, she's outdoors. Her green eyes match the green in the background. And it looks very carefree, I think. Yeah, she has her hair sort of loosely pulled half back. Not tons of makeup. The one from Morocco is really fun. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider this a natural look because her lips are like bright pink and she they match her bright pink dress and she's got pink eyeshadow on, but <laughs> it's a very fun look. Yeah, that's true. I also thought that the Russian girl stood out because she looks really just put together. Mm. I mean, it's not like a supermodel or something, but she has like very long straight hair. Her eyes really pop and her mouth, even though they have like kind of a natural look. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I just thought that was interesting compared to the one above from the Netherlands where she has just kind of like her hair sort of wavy, straight, curly. It doesn't look like she's about to walk on the runway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. She also looks like she has no makeup on. The Russian girl looks very, very feminine. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. Extremely feminine. So we'll definitely post this link to our show notes so you guys can see what we're talking about. It's a very interesting website, and I think you really have to see it to understand what we're saying here. So definitely go check that out, if for nothing else, than to just, like, see some really beautiful women. Yeah, and a lot of different looks, you know? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, let's keep going, because this next article that Rachel found is really, really great. It's a view of beauty standards around the world, and a lot of them are compared to kind of our own perspective. So yeah, I think it's awesome. Do you want to get started? Yeah. They interviewed five women from around the world who many of them grew up in the US or other Western countries, and they were perhaps born in a different country. So they have like this sort of differing perception of beauty. So US standards versus what they 
grew up with or what their home culture is. So the first woman was from Pakistan, and she talked a lot about the history of Pakistan having a really strong influence on beauty standards. So this is really similar to what the Indian woman says later on, Mm. but she said that it's largely related to the colonial past, so you still have the ideal of fair skin, almond eyes, long hair, and a petite figure. Mm. And since the appearance of Pakistani people is much more homogenous than American people, she said that there is a really clear standard for what beauty is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a friend from Pakistan who does her best to keep her skin light. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because we're in China where that's the goal of most people and she said like before when she was living in other countries like in the U.S. she lived there for a long time and she never felt comfortable like bringing her umbrella around Mm -hmm. like when it's like as a parasol but here it's so socially acceptable to do that so she's like good because that's her goal is to not get darker right actually it's Yeah, it's advantageous. I think you mentioned colonialism. I think there's just a general association of whiteness with success and wealth as a result of that. So it's where it comes from. Yes. So in Pakistan, it's also a really important thing that women need to remove body hair and Mm. not just your legs, but also your arms, get your brows done. So she said that there's a lot of pressure to have painful and time-consuming rituals of waxing, tweezing, and threading every last body hair. Oh, God. Yeah. She thought that, she said it's really strange being in the U.S. where it's a bit more accepted. And I think she lived in New York, so she said a lot of women there are comfortable going against what the societal norms are. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, the next woman that was interviewed was from Korea. So uh, it says Korean people really value a skin first philosophy. So figuring out the root of a condition instead of covering up with makeup. And Koreans in Asia are kind of known as the people with the best skin. There are skin products from Korea all over Asia. Like if you want to look beautiful, look like a Korean, and this is how they do it. (laughs) And I think Koreans also have a very, very long beauty regimen. So this woman says, in Korea, having a beauty regimen is almost like a lifestyle, and people start incredibly early as children. Caring for skin is taken for granted as a part of your health, just kind of like brushing your teeth. Mm. So it's interesting, like, I think in the U.S., people do have a little bit of a skincare routine, at least, usually. I'm lucky if I can take my makeup off, if I remember to take my makeup off at night. But I think, you know, like five minutes is kind of the norm. But I think in Korea, it's much more extreme. It's like a 20-minute or half-hour daily routine for the skin. Yeah. And it works. (laughs) It does. And I thought it was also interesting that she said they start before problems start sort of more preventative track than what I think of in the US like once you have acne or once you have scars or once you have wrinkles then you start 
with your skincare. Mm, yeah. It totally makes sense to me. Like I think about Eastern medicine is all about like making sure that there's a right balance in your body. And if something's off balance, that's when you have problems. So it's a, like you said, a preventative strategy mindset. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the West, I mean, things are getting a little bit more holistic, but traditionally, each body part is kind of treated as its own thing. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. The next woman was from Sweden, and she talked a lot about the products that they use and the ethical aspect to what they're using. So she said that they're one of the most progressive in terms of considering the environment and how these products are produced and thinking about the entire chain of production, not just one aspect like the container or something. And it's they're not tested on animals. And so that was really important for her. Mm. Yeah, those Northern Europeans are so much more progressive than the majority of the world. Yeah, definitely. Nice. And the next woman we have is from Chile. And she says to be beautiful in Chile is to be healthy. So in the past, it was more thinking about being thin, but that has evolved in Chile to a point where the goal is to be healthy, happy, and unique. And taking care of yourself is also part of taking care of the world. So she talks about being vegetarian and strong and healthy and going to the gym three times a week and exfoliating. So that is a unique perspective compared to these others. Yeah, she's the only one who speaks about diet or working out as part of beauty, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And it's totally true, too. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, your diet totally changes what how your skin looks or, or your body. Your, your puffiness. Yeah, cool. I like that. Yeah. And the last woman was from India. She said a lot of similar things to the woman from Pakistan. She said her idea of what beauty standards are is being a tall, blonde, white girl or Giselle. Mm. And she said for that reason, for her, it has a lot of negative connotations because it's so subjective. And mm -hmm. similarly, she said everyone aspires to be fair skinned and thin and be also hairless. She also talked about the skin bleaching. She's from the south of India, and so she has a bit darker skin. And so she said from the time that she was a child, her mom would do these sort of home remedies to bleach her skin from soccer practice. And she never wanted to go to the beach or things, even though she liked it because she didn't want to get darker. Yeah. And she said in the past couple of generations like it's changed a lot the view of what's beautiful of uh, body shape and now they get a lot more western media so it's more beautiful to be skinny and mm. she said now a lot of grandparents look at their kids and think they're starving themselves because they're so skinny and that hasn't been the norm in the past mm. yeah i think that that cultural divide between the elderly and the young is probably really much more extreme in 
places that have developed really fast, like India. It's mm-hmm. definitely like that in Korea and China. Think about the difference between me and my grandfather. And things changed a lot from the 1930s to today, or 1940s, whenever he was my age. Okay, 1959 is when he would have turned 30. But I think 1959 versus 2020 in the U.S. is probably very, very different compared to the difference in those years in a place like India or Pakistan or Mm -hmm. Africa, somewhere in Africa. Yeah, it's changed a lot more, you think. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. She also said that the past standard would have been to be more voluptuous, to have big boobs, big hips. Right. She said, like, uh, statues you might see in temples. Mm. Yeah. Well, you think about Roman and Greek statues, too. Like, the women in those statues are not, like, tiny and <laughs> weak. Yeah, they have the hourglass figure, but not super skinny either. Exactly. Cool. Really interesting stuff, man. So why do you think these standards are, a lot of times, let's be honest, like they're geared toward Western standards, like being whiter or having having double eyelids. Or having silky hair. Or having a high nose. Like straight, flat hair. In the U.S., especially for black women, that's been a big part of life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I think we can all agree that the power dynamics are at play. So the Europeans went all over the world and colonized, and they were the ones with the power. And, I mean, also in the U.S., that's a big part of it as well, with black women, why they wear their hair in a more white way. Mm-hmm. I think also, though, in Asia, for example, the plastic surgery of the world, it's a little bit of, yes, the goal is to look a certain way. Whether or not that means to look whiter is up for debate. Like, Koreans are never going to look like a white person, but they might have surgery to change their face. And one argument that I've actually heard about this was that it's also a bit of a rejection of the idea that everybody has, like, an internal beauty that they that they can just, like, express mm-hmm. and they should accept themselves for the way they are. Like, in the West, we kind of look at plastic surgery as something that's like, oh, you you should just be happy, like, with who you are and you hear stories about people like getting addicted to plastic surgery and trying to change themselves so much. And so we look down on it a little bit, not much, but not like in Iran where women wear their plastic surgery bandages on their noses for a long time and kind of take it with pride. But I think that it's more of a embracing of like, if you can change yourself to make yourself better, why wouldn't you do it? Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's actually a rejection of our Western beauty idea, which is like, make yourself beautiful, but also accept yourself for who you are, which is actually a little bit confusing, probably. Yeah, it can be. And I mean, it's also 
sort of the difference of individual identity versus more of a collective identity. Hmm. Like we want to stand out and be different. And I don't know, that's not the focus in more collective cultures. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Like maybe everybody's going for one beauty ideal instead of like accepting many different beauty ideals. Mm-hmm. And lack of individualism. That's a really good point. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, going back to the idea of skin color, I think that's pretty consistent in much of the world. So we've talked about it in South Asia, in East Asia, in Latin America. You know, it's a status symbol. It's an indicator of class, especially mm-hmm. like in Latin America. They have a lot of mixing, and so usually the most purely European are the whitest and typically have the highest social class, Mm. whereas the more indigenous you are is the lowest social class. Exactly. And so if you're darker, then you have to work outside on the fields, and if you're whiter, then you have the luxury of not working outside and staying in. Mm -hmm. And then now, like, the people who work inside all day are a lot of office workers, and there's a trend of having that sun-kissed look from going on vacation. Right. So it's the class has sort of shifted. Like, we spend our leisure time outside instead of, like, labor time. But that was, I mean, it was the same in Europe until not too long ago. I would guess at least until the 19th century. I think so. And probably around the 20th century. I think so. That makes sense. I always think about, like, Italian noble classes. They wanted to be super, super white. The sun never was supposed to touch their skin because otherwise they look lower class. Like, they work Mm. fishing or something outside. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. I think, like, middle of the 20th century is when that really started to change. Like. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, like, the 50s where, I don't know, I'm thinking the prototypical look from the 50s was still not sun-kissed, I think. Mm -hmm. But you can also think about bathing suits, maybe. Like, when did they start to get smaller? Like, maybe the 50s? Uh, So true, yeah. That's when you would get more sun, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my students sent me a picture the other day of her and her family at the beach. And they all had, like, full body suits on. Mm, That's interesting. So that's still the case here. Yeah. But there are a lot of migrant workers in Shenzhen from all over China, and they're darker because they work outside all day. But a lot of times they'll be totally covered up to protect their skin, Mm. even in the middle of the summer. Those poor bastards. Wow. Well, if you have anything to add, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can talk to us via Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's usually where we hang out. And go to iTunes while you're thinking about it and leave us a quick little review. We'd really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. And make sure you are subscribed to the podcast if you aren't already so that you can get all of our episodes and hear from us once a week. And we will see you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.